All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Mission 300 podcast. Now, just to give you guys a bit of a uh, forewarning right at the front here, we are all pretty caffeinated as we're recording this. Uh, it's a lot later at night in the U.S. than our scheduled time normally. Um, and so it's kind of like almost midday for Brian, but he's got some day chong coffee that he's been bragging about. I just want to kind of bring you guys into that world. So apparently this coffee Brian is drinking is is just brewed in a fantastic way that's almost got a cocoa flavor to it. And so it's almost like a mocha without having to add anything, which I'm personally looking very much forward to him sending me some of that in the mail, which I'm sure he's going to do that. But Tommy and I are just loaded up on Red Bull. Caleb has been drinking water because he's the one healthy person in this conversation tonight. But thank you guys for coming back to the podcast. We're going to continue a uh, discussion here on the difference between knowing something and knowing about something. And to, to, we want to add this piece of the puzzle to it in this episode. How do you actually get to know something or someone beyond just knowing information about that? How do we actually know things? And the reason we want to bring this out, and, and I know it can kind of seem like a, a cliche, stereotypical topic, but if you don't understand why this idea of knowing versus just knowing about or knowing information about someone or something, it, it, if you don't understand this piece of the puzzle, the entire identity aspect of your, of your life as a believer, it just goes out the window. I mean, a lot of times God's portrayed in a lot of Christian circles as, well, here's the person you go to, to get the information you need on how to have a good life and have the things that you want and build the right kind of situations around your life. And so ultimately we just make God a method to get information and, and then we'll build trust in institutions or people or organizations because of that mindset. But that really does not get you in a relationship where, you know, God, he becomes a, a source of facts and information and it really kills the relationship. And so we're going to talk about this idea and bring some examples, but at the end of this, you should see that, you cannot have an identity as a believer without this piece, which means you cannot operate in the world around you with honestly any significance without knowing this. So Brian's going to get this discussion going for us tonight. So there's a lot of points I wanted to kick out on this um, as we go forward. And I want to keep it to the point of how do we get there? It's interesting in Psalms, it says that Moses knew the ways of God, but the people, the acts. In other words, sometimes when we're just trying to build our life around us and we're trying to navigate through through things, whether it's setting up a family or finding college or finding our plan or how do I function now with the way the world's changed or which political idea or how do I navigate all of those things, we lose sight of something that we're trying to look for the acts of someone who did it differently so we could follow after. But the main objective of of this is how do we know something beyond ourselves and how do we know who we are? Because otherwise we're just trying to find a way to make our life safer, more conditioned, uh, more established for what we are. So basically we want information to make our lives better, healthier, wiser, right? That's kind of what the world looks for. But God says there's something way bigger, but that means we have to transcend out of just gathering information to make our local world a better place. And I think this really fits in well, and it brings a lot more understanding to the idea. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus is talking about, why do you worry? 
Why do you worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, or about your body, what you'll put on? Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? And then he goes on in verse 27, which of you worrying can add even one measurement to his own stature? And again, I think sometimes we gather information and we look to certain knowledge to bring comfort to what we're, our fears are, what our worries are, what our concerns are. And so we navigate around that. And what Jesus said was something very interesting. And I know it's been quoted so many times, but I think we lose the essence of this knowing versus knowing about. It says to seek first, in verse 33, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In other words, again, this is about his kingdom and his righteousness, not yours, not your kingdom. So we're not seeking, how do I become more righteous? We're not seeking, how do I build my kingdom? We're seeking, I need to understand your kingdom. I need to understand your righteousness. And when that becomes our heart pursuit, then all these other things become either a byproduct or become unimportant or become secondary because the value of our identity, of who we are in his kingdom, the righteousness that he made us begins to override that. But there's this transition, almost like a, like a balloon. We're inside the balloon, but we have to get outside the balloon to understand what's actually going on around us. And so I'm hoping in this podcast that we can help tear that down a little bit, but not make this so spiritual. Like life is spiritual. It is natural, it is material, but it is spiritual. But then how does this interplay in every area of our life? Otherwise, it just becomes another God-type idea, but yet I have to go live in my world. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, You don't have to pay your mortgage. You're not trying to get your bills paid. You're not trying to restore a relationship. You're not trying to do any of those things. No, all those things are part of your life. The world around you, all of that, the chaos or the disorder or even the quote-unquote comforts you have, is not who you are. There's something out outside of that. But once we know and understand that, that becomes part of our DNA, that when we come back into this, we have a new perspective, we have a new strength. We're not operating from a, a basis of fear. We're operating from a basis of clear thought, and we can navigate that on a different level. So that's where I'm hoping this uh, podcast will go to, that we can maybe dig deep into that, to, that simple ideas throughout the conversation will impact people that they, A, get a different hunger, and B, can start seeing, wow, there's way more to this than this, this, all this knowledge I've been given. And wow, a lot of it is statements that are true, but the context and the why behind it, I've understood it wrong. And the whole thing, like you said, it's not to make people into some kind of like weird, super spiritual person that always quotes scripture to people with a verse and chapter and reference and never actually has a normal conversation. It, it doesn't make you something weird, but it empowers you to live your life in the world as the person you are and influence people in that way and to know how God works and walks with you in your day-to-day life. And so like there, for me as a, as a kid, this whole idea of the more I know God or if I really get to know God, it's going to make me like a weird person. 
So I can't have a normal conversation with a normal person. I've always got to make it spiritual and quote them 17 different Bible verses. And, and I saw that happen. I saw people that tried to live that way and they would just burn relationships with people because no one could connect with them. But that's not what knowing God does to you. It actually empowers you to have a real authentic influence in the lives of people around you. So just to keep that in mind for people as we as we dive into this piece here, it's not meant to make you weird or to make you so heavenly minded that you don't know how to have a normal conversation with people. It actually empowers you to live in the earth, on the earth, and work and influence with all the people around you, with every system around you, with every organization around you. I, th- I think I want to add to that too, Jason, is if you're just, I mean, there's nothing wrong with quoting scriptures and posting them. And if something comes to your right. mind to share a scripture, I know you're not saying there's, that's weird. What's weird is when we don't have a depth that those words have become part of our DNA, that we can't articulate that to someone who has no knowledge of our terminology, our verbiage. It, it becomes, we we become relational. And the other thing is we start seeing people beyond the natural. So Jesus, uh, Paul said, I don't judge anyone by what I see. I judge them by the spirit. And so all of a sudden you could see differently into people and the relationships form and you want relationships and you want to connect. Doesn't always work. You there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things you'll discover, but it won't be based on our knowledge of things. It will be based on the depth of knowing who we are, who our father's father is and how his words were designed and to affect the world around us. So Caleb and Tommy, let me bring you guys in on this because the reason, and you guys have experienced this, the reason we do sporting events with, with mission 300 before we try to teach guys anything, before we get into, okay, let's all sit down and be taught and learn. Before we get into any of that kind of stuff, we do sporting events with them. And the reason we do that is because it helps you to get to know people. There's a bonding experience that happens. They get to know us. We get to know them all before there's any sort of approach to you know, a different information or a teaching moment or whatever it is. And so there's a reason we do that. And so from your guys' experience, having gone through things like that in your life, how does that, how does, how has that made you or helped you get to know someone on a deeper level where there's a relationship that's formed instead of just, okay, I guess this person's here to give me information. I would say with my first week of college, um, they had what they called welcome week and where they would welcome incoming college students, incoming freshmen. And how they kind of did it was they had a bunch of activities that you could participate in. And that's kind of how you formed friendships, I guess, is we had like different groups that you um, got assigned to, but then you would play certain games, you would do certain activities together. And you really got to know like who people kind of were by what they did within that group environment. And I think it's very interesting. Like that's kind of like an icebreaker for people is that you get to kind of understand people by how they interact when it comes to games and certain activities. Like, for example, I I met one of my best friends from college while doing an activity and we just kind of, we connected and then 
it got to be beyond that. But that's kind of an icebreaker is how we did that is just we were playing a game and I was like, oh, like we started talking and then I didn't really think much of it. But then after we started talking more, we got connected and that was it. So I think it's just a really good way to get to see how people interact with each other and really understand like who they are without necessarily talking to them on a deeper level or being weird about like, Oh, like what, what motivates you? You can kind of see that in a game. Like if someone's super competitive, you can see that from that angle, not necessarily asking them questions or interrogating them, you know, great perspective. I wonder how many deep, meaningful friendships have started from like activities and games versus started from, hi, I'm a stranger. You're a stranger. Let's talk about our deepest feelings and our thoughts on life. I don't, I mean, I don't have a ton of relationships that started that way, I guess. Maybe Caleb does. No, I don't either. And I think a lot of it is building like on trust because if someone's going to sit down and talk to you and that's the first time you're ever going to get to know that person, you can't really, or I wouldn't personally like be able to trust that person necessarily what they're saying because they could just be putting on their best face you know, since it's their first time meeting me. But when you actually go and do something with somebody else and you see them interacting with other people and interacting with whatever is in the environment, you can kind of even learn more about them than if they were just sitting there and talking to you. And I think that goes into like even the how to know because you're getting to know them, like Tommy was saying, by what they're doing and how they're acting. And it reveals more of their personality and how they react to situations because there's different forces in the environment more than just you sitting there talking to them, getting to know them by what they say, what they want to reveal to you. Whereas you can learn more about them by being in the same environment with them, but other forces acting on that to reveal other things, not in a way that's like weird to observe people and stuff. But I mean, I think that happens naturally a lot of the time and we just don't realize it. It's it's almost like there's there has to be some kind of maybe conflict's not the right word, but there's got to be some environment where you and the other people are encountering things where there's a resistance or where their actual personality traits come out beyond what they say. So you can have a conversation with someone and they can, you know, tell you about how much they care about other people, how nice they are to other people. And then if you're, you know, playing basketball with them and they're throwing elbows every chance they kit they can, then you're not really a nice person. You're just kind of a jerk. So you get to see people's authentic, true self when there's a conflict or where there's some kind of activity. It doesn't have to be a conflicting activity, but I think that actually does help quite a bit. But you actually see who the person is instead of hearing them talk about who they are. I think that's that's really cool. I was watching a documentary about um, Marines going through basic training and it was just a kind of a newer blip. And it was about um, they were allowing women to be with the men in certain training. And there was a brother and a sister who joined the Marines together. And they were talking about how they were never really that close. They didn't really talk. And then after going through this experience together, it brought them so much closer together and they, they were pushed beyond their limits because they knew someone else was in, in there, you know, doing the drills with them and someone they knew and loved and cared about. And even interesting seeing like how those relationships develop within like 
army context of like a lot of the guys who go and join the army, they join alone and, you know, they build camaraderie with, you know, the people they went through basic with, with, and they become, those are the guys and they have a deeper level and understanding of knowing each other and who each other are. And I think it's interesting that like when you bring an outsider into that, they don't really know how to interact with the group because they haven't gone through that shared experience. It's almost like they're an outsider. I think that's really interesting. And I, I thought it was just really cool to see that relationship with the brother and the sister of how, how it really got deepened through, you know, basic training. It was really interesting. I think you're tapping into something that, that we, it's almost like we've been conditioned of information. So if you go back into the garden, so Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day in the garden, right? So, uh, there was a difference and rather than splitting hairs, but I just want you to look at this, this, from this aspect, they had this relationship with God and they, they were, had dominion over the earth and God was coming down and asking Adam, what do you want to name the animals? And Adam's name in the animals, there's this relational piece, right? So Adam didn't know everything about God, but he was in this relationship, but he, he knew God, like he knew his voice. He knew how to interact. He, he was confident with him. He was comfortable with him. It, it was like this amazing relationship. And you have to think about an outsider came in with information that was, some of it was factual, but it was twisted into an untruth. And so when, when Lucifer comes in to deceive Eve, he brings knowledge that causes her to become less than what she was designed to be. And so all of a sudden insecurity starts forming, fear starts forming, and all of a sudden now she has to look to a different action. And I think it's very interesting how we, even, even Adam and Eve, they catered almost more. They wanted the security of the relationship, but any knowledge that came in, it, they, that was the deception point. And I think we live in a world that we flooded our world with knowledge and information and knowledge and information, and we don't really know anything. So the moment we think we know something, just let's just say you, you're, you're watching the news and there's something in there that you really believe and you're convinced of it and you've seen it happen and you're all of that. Then all of a sudden, another report comes not to dissuade the news, but to destroy the individual that is speaking that information. So it discredits the information. And this is exactly Lucifer. He came in to destroy the person to discredit the information. So he destroyed the integrity of God in order to bring in new information. And if, if we know this is an enemy's tactic, rather than saying, oh, wow, I guess this person did it, so the information isn't correct. You know, even as a, if you're a detective of a police department and information comes to devalue a person, you still have to seek out and understand those things in order to, dis- to discover several things is the facts of the case, but more importantly, the charge that they would be charged with is all dependent on the motive. So really the role is, is to get to the motive of why they did what they did. So if someone's dead and another person's standing there, there's either an accident, uh, there's either, let's say, I'm going to simplify it, there could be manslaughter where it was an accidental death, there could be 
murder three, murder two, murder one. I, you, you have all these levels, but it all has to do with motive, intent, and those ideas. And I think it's interesting. We don't step back long enough to gather information, process it through the source of where we come from, and then look at it from a different perspective, which is what makes the difference when we know God's kingdom and we know his righteousness that he's given us and who we are in that kingdom. Then when we're standing here and that information comes, it's not challenging our identity, even though it's trying to, but we could process it in a, in a proper manner in order to make decisions. Do you think we do that because in a given situation, because we don't know the person or the organization or the motive, and so we'll let the information that we get from different sources kind of be our source of truth because we don't actually know them. So I don't know this person that was standing there. And so I'm going to let the information I get from, you know, reporter A or organization B develop my opinion on them because I don't know them. So in essence, information and knowing about something replaces us getting to know someone for whatever reason. And do we even see a problem with that? Yeah, I mean, I think I've seen that in my life personally, because growing up in a Christian home, I mean, I knew the Bible, I was taught the Bible stories, I've heard it all on repeat. And I so I have all this information in my brain. But the God of the Bible, like who I've heard all these stories about and stuff, it wasn't necessarily that it wasn't real to me or anything, but that it was just information and knowledge. So when my life circumstances didn't line up with what the the Bible said, since I didn't really know God personally and have like that personal connection of trust, then that information kind of became ineffectual because other information in my reality, like, oh, my life's not going the way I thought it would, was conflicting with the information in the Bible. So I think like one big difference for me is like when I actually get to know God, then that information becomes like valuable in a different way because it actually has more meaning because it has meaning to the character of God. It has meaning to who he is and who I am instead of it just being information and facts that should have meaning, but they don't because there's no personal connection and trust built in there with them. So Caleb, when you were in kind of some of these examples, how did you transition that? How did you, what, what happened that you were able to take some of these scenarios and make that transition point? I think, I think it's hard to pinpoint it on a specific time or anything like that. But I think what it was for me was starting to change my perspective on the information first as instead of this is just information to be helpful for me. It's like, no, this is information to build a relationship with God. And I think when that first step started of what does the information mean to me, then it started more into the direction of, um, having a relationship with God. So actually his character gives meaning to that information. And I think I saw that in my life where um, when I began to have that more personal relationship with God, like as a friend, instead of just this far off distant being who, you know, gave the information in the Bible, it started to change my perspective on that and how I saw it. So it affected my life on a daily basis more because 
it was like, oh, this actually has meaning for me because it means something about God. It's not just these stories that are hysteric, historical narratives, just like any other historical narrative. And I think it's like the same thing, even when we become friends with people, it's like you can know about them what like what other people say about them. You can hear stories about them, but until you start doing things with them and doing life together, like anything, you know, just hanging out and stuff like that, it changes your perspective on who they are because you begin to understand them more. And I think that's the same thing with God. So with developing those relationships with friends and Tom, you talked about this too. There's, there's always a, there's always a common ground or there's a shared interest of some kind that helps that bond to form. So it's not just like any random person. If I just, you know, play soccer with them, I'll get to know them and we'll be best friends. It, it doesn't work that way. There has to be some kind of common ground, some connection point. And I think we don't realize that applies in our relationship with God too, as far as how we perceive that and how we know him. So for me, I grew up in the church and I had, you know, a great father, great mother, they're still around today. And so I had a lot of information about God and I had a, a relationship with him, but where it actually hit a different level was when I first really started hearing that God wasn't just a father to me because that had become a cliche, but that he wanted to father me. And I knew about fathering. I had a good father and, and I was a lot like him. People in our, in our town would see me and they would, you know, oh, that's Jay's son. We know that he, you know, runs the Christian school in town. We know what his mom does. We know this person. So they would attribute things to me because I was my dad's son and he had fathered me. He had raised me and taught me things. And so when I understood the information that God wanted to father me, I understood what that meant. And so then the relationship could form to where I was getting to know God, like, oh, so I remember my dad teaching me how to hunt. So you're saying that, God, you want to teach me things like my father taught me things. So you actually want to get your hands dirty with me. You want to actually be with me and walk me through things. So now I see what it means to be fathered by God and to see him as a father and not just the information of, yes, our father who art in heaven and, and repeating things like a drone because it's just the information you were taught to regurgitate. And again, going back to what you just described, that that takes us back to that the verse with uh, Jesus in Matthew. We we are so consumed with how are we going to function in our life? What's our goal? What's our purpose? Uh, how are we going to eat? How are we now going to go take care of this with the world changing? How are we going to do this? How am I going to take care of myself? What's going to be like in fifty years? How's this going to change? Those are thoughts really from an orphaned heart because someone that now knows the father knows yeah you do have to go deal with those things but it comes from a sense of security not a sense of insecurity trying to become secure and if we can really map that out like i'll give you a great example of so like if there's anyone on this audience and i'm not trying to promote them because sometimes they make me really mad a lot of times but so you got amazon and how many people order things through Amazon, right? They made it, they've made life so comfortable and convenient. It, you don't need to interact with another human being. You, you can just interact 
with that thing and it takes care of that needs, as long as you have a money supply, it will just bring you whatever you need all the time, right? So we get to learn. We get, most people know how to order something on the app or on the online website. They know how to do it. They've been trained how to do it. They're conditioned how to do it. In fact, now, rather than running the store, it wouldn't surprise me. Most people say, man, I could just hit Amazon. It'll be here in like five hours. I don't even have to leave the house, right? Okay, this is pre-COVID. Now it becomes, we've almost, that's been conditioned to a critical part. But if someone were to say, this company is here to destroy your life. I'm not saying it is or isn't. I'm just trying to use this as an illustration. And some of you like, well, it, it is. Okay. But I, I'm just trying to use this as an illustration. Let's just say they're an absolute innocent company just providing the service. All right. We just have to go with that in order for the illustration to work. It's a parable now. It's a parable. Okay. Parable. So this is a picture for you to get understanding. So Let's just assume they're just, they're just doing their job. They're, they're, this is all they want to do is just to provide the service to make life more convenient for you. But we get to know intimately how to use the system. We know how it works. We know when it's going to come. We almost get to know our delivery drivers. We know how it's going to show up. We know who's going to steal our product off the front porch because we know what our neighbor's going to do when it actually shows up. We get to know all, like we are so intimate with that now but we don't know the company. We don't know them. So we have become comfortable knowing the how-tos and we're intimate with that, but we don't know the one who's actually providing those things. And the truth is, if you really wanted to enhance your life, understand how they do it because then you're going to have a different look of how you're going to do it, why you're going to do it, all of those things. It may create an innovative side. It may create a, uh, I'm going to go do something different. It may, you may understand that it's stripping you of relationships, even though that let's just assume it's all innocent. That's not their intent, but man, I'm not having a relationship in the marketplace. I love in Thailand. Okay. We have a similar service and we use it all the time. Okay. So I'm not going to try to blush over all of that, but I love going down to the local market. I could go to the there's a couple big stores similar to like a Walmart or a, uh, a target or whatever, but I rather go to the small marketplace to purchase my stuff. One, it's not much more expensive, but I actually get to know when I walk in, they know me, they say, hi, they have my stuff ready. And all of a sudden this relationships form. And then as you go back and forth, this conversation, see, sometimes knowledge of how to do something strips you of the relationship of knowing something. And that's the picture that I think we have to step back from. Let's remove everything that could be evil. Let's re remove all motives. Just, just the simple fact of knowing about and knowing. I would rather know the store clerk, what their life is like. They talk about their family, where they're going to go when they're, when they're on their day off. They, they talk about those things. I get to know them and I buy the product. This, we master getting the product. We master our convenience, but we never know the person behind that whole operation. And I think this, there's a truth in that, that our, the enemy has seeded into our society of, I want you to know how to do, but I don't want you to know the one who's bringing the how to do's. Do you think 
because I think maybe like even me listening to this, it's so much more for me to, it's so much more convenient for me to not to have to get to know people and order off Amazon. So where does like for you, where does the motivation come in to, you know, make that effort to actually know people instead of just knowing about it? Because I think a lot of times like today, it's just built more around convenience and like we have this explosion of knowledge, but it's just allowed our lives to be more convenient, which is good and bad in some ways. But where do you think that balance is, I guess? Well, I guess the question to you, I don't know if there's necessarily a need for the balance or not the balance. I mean, we all use electricity because it makes life more convenient. I'm not recommending going to back to candles and then going and shipping for whales to get the oil in order to make the candle. What I'm, what I'm, what I think where the application of this is, it brings you back to the why. There's a difference between the speed of time so I can have relationship versus the speed of time so I can avoid relationship. And I guess the question is, if the enemy has convinced us enough, we have no value to the world around us, or we are a, a, we, it's too frustrating to go interact. I think the bigger issue is, why don't I want to bring influence to the world around us? I mean, you think about it, we look at all these people like, whether it's Steve Jobs or Jeff Bezos or some of these people that built these huge companies, right? We think they're, oh, wow. Uh, look, look what they did. You know what they did? They didn't get caught up in the convenience. They got caught up in how do I provide something or how do I utilize this to build something? We, they became producers of something versus consumers of something. And the gospel is not a consuming product. It is a DNA. It is a producing product. It produces something. And I think we have that consumer mindset, which is really what Lucifer was telling Eve. Consume this, then you'll be. Consume this, then you'll be. Versus you are, so do so be. You are, so be. So one was to be fruitful, the other was to get fruit. And I I I think we've lost positional ideas in this whole this whole process. Does that help? I don't know if that answers your question i don't well, think it's a well, balance of what's to right that. or wrong I, I i would add to that i think that's in a lot of circles of christianity what we've made the relationship of god to be it's well i've got my supply so as long as i'm keeping my supply my prayers my giving and all this stuff then i can you know I, you don't want to use the word order but you use the god app and he will provide you with what you need so there's that transaction or there's that information well i've I've paid what it costs for this thing, or I've prayed. And so now God will provide for me or bless me with something. And so as long as I keep the information going and my account current, then things are fine with God. Like we've made it a transaction. We've made it, well, I need something in life. Well, let me go and pray and talk to God. Or, oh no, something bad has happened to me. Let me go and pray and talk to God and see if he can fix it and change it or take it away or something like that. And we've completely missed that that is not what Jesus described as the kingdom of God at all. Like look at how Jesus portrayed the kingdom of God and how he demonstrated it. It was never, Oh, you've done enough for me. So let me do something for you. It was all about bestowing identity, grace, forgiveness, and all those things, which we, we talked about a bit before um, in 
before we start recording here, but but the thing that keeps hitting it for me is we've made we're making our world so much more like that, so much more transactional instead of relational. And we are starting now to see the negative effects of that because people don't know how to relate to each other person to person as much. And it's damaging the psychology of people. And I'm I'm not going to go off on a bunny trail into that too much, but but you're you're gonna see that people are not designed to live that way. People are not designed to live transactionally. Well, as long as I have this need and this need and this need met, then I'm fine. We are designed to relate to each other in a very connected, personal way. Like one example, and I don't want to get too off into the bunny trail, but this this ties into knowing instead of just the information. Um, there was orphanages in Romania. I don't remember if it was the 70s or 80s. They had so many babies that they were just filled in the orphanages. And so they would put the babies in, in cribs and feed them and clothe them and provide for those basic needs, but they wouldn't hold them. They didn't have people to interact with them and sing to them or rock them or anything like that. And the babies ended up dying. The vast majority of them died even though all of their natural needs were met. And the ones that survived were severely damaged. And the harsh, terrible lesson we learned from that is it's not enough as a human being just to have some material needs met. You have to have love and connection with someone else or it will literally kill you. And it doesn't just apply to infants. Maybe we can grow out of that in a bit, but if you don't know someone else, if you don't know God and he's just providing for your basic needs, then you you will not survive in a spiritual sense. Yeah, I think that answer is super helpful too because it gives so much more depth and purpose to life and give like that production aspect that you're talking about, Brian, with the gospel is that, you know, like that gives it more meaning than it's just a, like you were saying, Jason, too, like this consumer transaction where it's just a shallow, I give what you need and you give what you need to me and we just keep our distance for our own convenience and i think that is a deadly thing like you were saying with the babies where there's no meaningful connection there because then it just starts to feel purposeless like i guess it depends on your value system are you going to value convenience while staying at a distance for your own safety or are you going to value um purpose and meaning even if it means you're getting close and getting personal and starting to not just have knowledge of something, but actually know about it and know it intimately. I think that's a really interesting like point that is just brought up here is like the producing of something is kind of what flows from knowing who you are to God and who God is to you. And I think that's really when my walk in faith began to change is like I kind of I grew up in the church so I knew everything there was to God there wasn't anything more that I needed to know I, I knew it all I went to church every Sunday I went to a Christian school my whole life like I, I just knew everything like there, there wasn't much to be discovered in a sense but there was because I didn't know I didn't understand that God really wanted to father me and wanted to be a father to me. And like, I didn't know how to be a son in that relationship. And so God to me, basically like up until probably around like eighth grade to me was just, you know, God, can you give me this? God, can you give me this? God, can you give me this? And that, I don't think that's like the right reason to kind of join in on a Christian walk and 
become a believer is like when you really see how Jesus did ministry, he gave away to people so that they could give away to others and be, you know, he set people free so they could set others free as well. It wasn't just for you. And I think that's something that's really interesting is a lot of times that God doesn't something great for you, but then that's all it becomes is just something great for you. And you never really begin to understand like, why did God do this? How did God do this? How can I do this for others too? And I think that's just really interesting. It's like, I want to be known for how I can help bring others to know God in this way too, not just understand the Bible or be able to quote scriptures, but actually produce what Jesus produced. Which means there has to be some relational connection that makes, I am not saying, I I could walk in, Tommy, and meet you for the first time, but if I'm thinking from my father's view, when I see you, something will connect, like there's a connection, but I don't, that we haven't met each other, and a way of seeing you will trigger you to hear what I'm saying. It's not so much you receive, but when I walk away, it wasn't, oh, Brian told me something and that changed my life. It'll be like, wow, I've been praying about something and God sent someone and said the thing that I need, that was already the question and was already starting to stir and it confirmed all of that. Okay, there's that relationship piece. So I'm not saying you can't be sporadic and you can't have something to share with someone without having a deep relationship. Don't confuse that. Again, you you know what the big problem is? Why we're having a disclaimer all this? We've been taught all the knowledge about this stuff. We've been taught how to do it. This is what you do. This is how you build it. This is how you go about it. But the reality is when you put people together and they're interacting on a daily basis, a lot of this is just natural. It, it, it is, it, it, it should become natural when there's a healthy relational development, but I just find it interesting of how our, our world that we're living in, and it's been since the beginning of time, the, the kingdom of darkness has done everything to separate relationships, but it's God that begins rebuilding all that back up. And when that's there, there's a powerful force in that, uh, that begins changing us and begins changing people. But we come at it from, we are equal before God. God's value of you is the equal value over me. I may have a different role in his kingdom. I may have a different uh, thing that I'm going to be applying that to, but the equality before God versus I'm higher, you're lower. And it, this, this isn't part of the kingdom of God. It's interesting how crucial is the relationship aspect between us and God if if that's really what the enemy is after and in in so many of the stories we see in the Bible I could go through Adam and Eve in the garden he was after the relationship the story of Job the enemy is after the relationship to to prevent that from happening Jesus's temptations in the wilderness it's to to sever that relationship the enemy constantly goes after the relationship because if he can sever that then then you he's won and so how important is that for us to see? If that's the thing he constantly attacks, how important is it for us? And, and not to make it some big 
grandiose warfare thing, the relationship, honestly, relationships start at the simplest thing. Like how, going back to this first thought, how do you actually get to know things and people? Like I watch my kids get to know each other and their friends. So I could spend, you know, let's, let's, let's just throw this example out as another parable. Let's say that when the, the government COVID lockdowns hit last year, I told my kids, all right, kids, for the next year, I'm going to teach you how to make friends. And then for the next year, two years, three years, five years, I kept teaching them how to make friends. All right, well, when you meet a new friend, you want to tell them your name, ask them your name, but, but I never actually take them outside to meet someone new. Then they don't have a relationship with, they don't have friends. And more importantly, and all the they, information on how to make a friend does them no good. They may never even see you ever do it. So if you're not friendly yeah, and you never go and interact like that, how do you tell someone else to go do that? Yet our universities and colleges, both secular and Christian, are filled with people that know how to, but they've never done, or it's so far away from their doing that they don't even relate to the doing. And we master the knowledge. I think that's where it's John that mentions, yeah, he was talking to uh, the church and he says, you guys have heaped up teachers because of your itching ears. We love hearing knowledge because it, it validates something inside of us. But I want to go, I want to go back to the relationship point, which is back to Caleb of, of wanting of that relational side, which is really critical in all this because God is a relationship. It's not information. It's not a system. It's not a religion. It's not a theology. It is a, a relationship. Why does this become critical? When I mention that we become consumers versus producers, the very interesting factor is the reason we struggle with relationships as a whole is because we're expecting something from that relationship. But if you're coming to give something to a new relationship, can they disappoint you? Yeah, but, but you're not there to get something from it. In time, it goes back and forth. But if we're both producers, then all of a sudden, by nature, we're giving back and forth in something deeper forms. I mean, you look at Jesus. He had the crowds that followed him. <clears throat> you have the 72 disciples. Then you had the 12. And then you had the three. It wasn't that anyone couldn't have transcended all of those layers. It was that they chose to stay within the layer that they did. And it was only John that so saw who Jesus was that called himself, I'm the beloved. Now, weren't they all beloved? Absolutely. But he so knew it, he couldn't help but say, I'm the beloved. Well, Peter was the beloved. But I thought it was interesting. Peter, James, and John were the three that Jesus revealed everything to. Did he want to reveal it all to everybody? Well, now he does through his Holy Spirit, but there's a limit because the people would only step into certain phases of that relationship because they were expecting something. But Peter, James, and John just wanted him. They wanted him. And that is a, not in a sense of extraction, but that relational point of the give and take to it. So one more thing that we'll leave it off uh, with this. How do we actually start to meditate on this idea of knowing God from because, you know, people are at different levels with this. And I don't mean levels as far as you're superior to some other people. We're at different parts of the journey on it. So how do we start to meditate on this to let it really sink in to know God, not just know about him? It's going to share a couple thoughts. One is from James. 
and it says to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, deceiving yourself. So we become deceived when we don't do. But I think it's very interesting that word doing isn't like God says I need to love everybody or God says I need to do this. So you do it. You don't want to, but you're doing it because it's the right thing to do. Now, I'm not saying don't do it because it's the right thing to do, but I'm not saying, you know, it's it's a part of you because you're doing it. And so if we do things like that over time, you'll become frustrated and you'll be kind of the 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 bitter the the what the christian that people meet that you're loving them but there's something harsh in the relationship it's it's not natural it's conditioned it's what you should do but what he's saying in the word doer it actually means author performer uh poet which is a very interesting word because a poet takes what he knows and he chews on it in his heart and in his words it's not a statement of how to or this is the facts it's a statement of his heart in explaining who he is and the information and how he's viewing things and so it means m- much deeper where that becomes a part of you that when you're speaking it it's hard to distinguish did you come up with that idea or is that your idea where did that idea come from or is it yours because you, it's hard to articulate where it's coming from because it's become a part of you. That's what the word doer actually means. So it's, it's a part of you. So by nature, you know God loves you. You've been meditating on that. You've seen his security. You've become confident with him. And now you're around someone and you're loving them. Not always easy, but y- you can't help but do that. It's a part of you. It's a fruit of you. And that's, that's a big difference of what, what James is trying to say. The main point is in Psalms 1, it says in verse 1 to meditate on the word day and night, and you will be like a tree that's been planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in season. Your leaf will not wither and whatever you do will prosper. In other words, you become a producer. You're no longer a consumer. You're no longer looking for something. You become that. And so it's very interesting that word meditate is not how we've often interpreted. It's not just let your mind go clear and sit in yoga style and hum or chant. That is not meditation in the context of this. This word meditation actually means to chew on, to ponder, to to wrestle with to challenge, to make it apart. So the, the only thing, the word that corresponds is how a, how a cow chews its cud. So a cow eats grass, swallows it into one stomach. It's regurgitated. He chews it again. It goes back to another stomach. He chews it again. Here he regurgitates it, chews it again, goes back in, and then it becomes part of his, all of the nutrients of that become part of his meat and the rest is expelled. And so I think it's very interesting that that actually makes that grass a part of them. But that's the word meditate. And see, once we chew on it long enough and we ask the questions and we look at the source and we interact with God and what's it trying to say and what does it mean to me? And it's not gathering more information. It's really rustling through that idea and, 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 making it a part of it that we're digesting it 
that all of a sudden you don't even realize you're doing things. We do things every day based on information we've digested. The way you think, the way you walk, the way you go and interact with people, the way you go uh, do any of your actions, the way you think about your life, all of those things, you don't even process where, where the basis of that came from. Because somewhere it's been put into you and you've made it a part of you. And that's the same with the word of God. And that's, Jesus said, hey, if you want to understand the kingdom, it's like a seed. And so the word of God goes in, we chew on it, it begins to grow and it begins to become a part of us. And we've lost that side, but that's when it becomes personal. And we forget the idea that Jesus was the word in flesh. In other words, not to, to keep it in correspondence, he, is, he took all those words that had been written about him through all the Bible and became it became part of his fleshly DNA, his way of thinking, his way of thoughts, his way of action. Everything he did flowed from the DNA of all those words. And th this is how things change. But he didn't gather information. He wrestled with it. He worked with it. He pondered it. He, he didn't want to know how to. He wanted to know why? I want to understand your motives in this. I want, Father, show me your heart in this. Show me what you were trying to do with this. Show me how to apply it. Show me what this means to me. And he put all that in. That's the doing of the word. You know, it's interesting that that's something we're supposed to do. We're supposed to have to wrestle with these things and ponder these things, sometimes for long periods of time. And a lot of us, and I've had so many conversations with people lately about this, we're looking for an answer. We want the information, chapter and verse, so that it can it can fix whatever's on my mind. And it it's it's frustrating at times, but it just doesn't work that way. There's there's concepts and there's things we see that take time to wrestle over before it gets ingrained in us, but that it's a process, but it 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 functions and it happens. So Caleb, Tommy, closing thoughts here. This is it's just super helpful, even for like your daily walk, because I think this is where for me, like that transition from like information about God versus knowing God really comes in because it's about making God a part of my daily life, chewing on all that, um, all that information and making it a part of my DNA, you know, as like a, the father becomes more part of my identity because it's about knowing him personally, rather than just having this distant knowledge of him. And I think everything we've been talking about really applies to that. I think this is just super crucial in the fact that so often we come to God as a transaction of like, I'm in desperate need of this. So I come to God and ask for this. And when you begin to meditate and really dig and really wrestle with God and you become, you, you know, you begin to understand the word, it begins to become a part of you. You just begin to know what God is already saying to the situation. And there's, there's your information right there is like, if you would have just meditated, meditated and understood and wrestled, you would know how you need to act in this situation without throwing up a lifeline prayer of like, God, I don't know what to do. Well, you, that, you, 
why that is is because you haven't been spending time with him before to understand who he is and how he responds to certain situations. So I think this is just like really a great reminder for me is like, even when everything's going great and life's going fine, you still need to have that interaction with God and walk with him and talk with him and understand him and understand why he does things a certain way so that when things do come up, it's instant. You know how he reacts and that's how you will react. I'm going to throw one more thought in Jason before you close out and then we'll get more into this in the next podcast. But I think I want to bring one, one sense of context in the motive of meditation. It, it's not learning how to use his app, his Bible app. It, it's knowing him who wrote the Bible app. And I, when, when that in your meditation, if you will picture yourself not trying to get something from him, but learning how to operate from what he's already given to us, it'll change everything. Because if you only look at it from using the Bible app, the world in a short amount of time will find a way to find answers to all those things. We used to go to God in the Old Testament for your health, your resources, your rain, your provision, your safety. All of those things were from God. But now we don't need God because a lot of those natural things were created. So in a way, our current convenient world doesn't need God for a lot of those questions. If we step beyond that, we're no longer limited to our relationship with God. And all these other things that you need flow from that. So I, I want to put that in context. Change your perspective that you're a child with your father learning how to do life versus a citizen meeting with a government official learning how to get your need met and your petition answered. That is that is extremely critical. And so I want to leave everybody with two questions here and ponder on them for at least another week or so until we put the next episode out. What do you know about God versus what information do you have about God that's just kind of there? Think about that. And then how would your life look if the information actually became something deep in your identity that you knew? What would, what would change about your life, the way you live, the way you feel, fears and anxieties, and the way you face the world? How would that change if instead of just having information about, well, I know the Bible says this, you actually knew the heart of your father and knew he was walking with you. How would your life change if that was the case? So we appreciate you guys listening. We appreciate you being here um, and all the interactions we're having with you guys. If you have questions about stuff we talk about, feel free to comment either on the podcast or find us on social media, wherever you might be, and just hit us up. We're always happy to respond and have some more conversations offline as well. But until next time, keep the faith and stay in the fight.